when I was a junior in high school, our English comp teacher loved Shakespeare. He loved to teach Shakespeare. He loved to read Shakespeare out loud. He loved to hear his own voice read Shakespeare out loud. He never let any of the rest of us read Shakespeare in his class, but he would spend the first 10 or 15 minutes every morning reading from Shakespeare. He loved Shakespeare so much that he planned a field trip every year for his juniors and seniors to go to Ashland, Oregon for the Shakespearean Festival. I mean, this was no easy field trip. It wasn't going to the zoo. It wasn't going to a museum. It wasn't going to a park. It was getting on several buses and driving from Fresno, California to Ashland, Oregon, because he felt that it wasn't just enough to read Shakespeare. You had to experience Shakespeare. And so we drove up there, and I still remember to this day, we got to see Hamlet amongst the many of the plays that were, that were there. We got to hear from the cast and, and listen to them talk about their own experience of performing in Hamlet. Because he knew that the experience was what really mattered. To be or not to be. That is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. And, and we know how that goes. And it's amazing to me. I can still remember a part of that from 35 years ago. And the reason I can remember a part of it is because I experienced it. We got to take a field trip to see something significant. And this morning in our text, Jeremiah takes a field trip. God says to him, I want you to go down to the potter's house and to see how vessels are formed, see how ceramics are made. And it's possible that Jeremiah on numerous occasions had gone past the potter's house. I mean, Ceramics were an important part of life in that day and age. But God wanted to teach him something. God wanted him to see something and experience something. God wanted him to use his imagination. And I think about the gifts of artists, those who access their right brain certainly more than I do. But they bring creativity to this world. They help connect the invisible and the visible. I love one of the questions that we ask of our new elders and deacons who are being ordained and installed to serve this church. And the question is this, will you serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? Energy and intelligence we get, love we know is really important, but I love that a part of the question says, will you use your imagination? Are you willing to think outside of the box? Are you willing to look at the world differently than how many other people do? And so I think it's super valuable for us to be able to now go with Jeremiah to the potter's house, to see what he sees and to hear what he hears and to experience what it is that he is about. So we're in, the, we're in Jeremiah chapter 18 this morning, looking at verses 1 through 10. I invite you now to listen for God's word. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. 
he said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. So God says to Jeremiah, make your way down to the potter's house and observe. Watch and see what the potter is all about. Now, in the introduction to this sermon series for the past several weeks, we have shown a potter at the wheel. But in the days of Jeremiah, the wheel was, was a little bit different. And there were basically two stones. There was a lower circular stone that the, the potter would kick with his foot in order to get the upper stone to move as well. And so the, the idea of a potter's wheel was two stones. And one of the things that was really important in our guys group actually was talking about it this week is that in order for a pot to be formed, in order for a vessel to be made, it has to be centered on the potter's wheel. Because if it is not centered, it will not be formed correctly. And so even for us, as we think about our own lives, there is this importance of centering our lives on Jesus. Now, that's not the angle we're taking this morning, but it's an important reminder for us. Because what happens in our text this morning is the potter is working with the clay. But the clay is, is not cooperating, if you will. And God is wanting to show Jeremiah a couple of things. First of all, God's reminding Jeremiah that he has formed him and he has shaped him, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But God's also saying of Judah, of Israel, I have formed you. I'm trying to shape you. And you're resisting me. You're not cooperating with me. Just as the clay was not cooperating with the potter in his or her hands, so Israel and Judah are not cooperating with God. I think sometimes we have to ask ourselves the same sort of question of, is are we being molded and shaped, allowing God to mold and shape us? And if you think about ceramics or you think about pottery, some of them, some pots are formed for very practical uses. You have plates, you have bowls, you have pitchers, you have vases, and others are, are works of beauty. And I think the wonder of God is that he creates us both aesthetically beautiful but also creates us for practical purposes. So God is the potter. We read this in verses 5 and 6, this reminder. God then it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as the potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. God is shaping God is forming. The Hebrew word for that is the word yatsar. And we actually read that word in the very beginning of Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. God says, before I formed you, yatsar, in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you. Because God is the one who had formed Jeremiah. It's interesting that the word potter is actually derived from the word yatsar. 
the one who shapes, the one who forms, the one who creates. And this is God. This is a part of God's job description. We see this all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God's creating Adam. Here's what we read. Then the Lord God, this is Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Then the Lord God formed. He shaped. He put together Adam. From the dust of the ground, he's creating. He's doing what the potter does. And one of the things that God is teaching Jeremiah, one of the things that God is trying to teach Judah, God is trying to teach us as well, is that he is the God who forms and creates and shapes. He even says to Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you. Before I called you to your mission, I knew you. I put you together. As the Psalms remind us, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God is trying to shape Judah, and Judah is not cooperating. And I wonder about us as God tries to mold and shape us. How are we doing? But I want to move on from that example of just the clay being formed and shaped by the potter. And I want to think about what happens after the clay is formed. Because eventually, after the clay is formed, it's put into a kiln or it's put into very high heat where it bakes, where it hardens. And then perhaps it is glazed or painted and then it is refired again and it becomes a work, a vessel of some sort. It's a finished product that is meant to last for generations. It's no longer just soft clay in the potter's hand. It's shaped for a purpose. But we know what sometimes happens with pottery. We know what sometimes happens with clay vessels that have been fired. They crack. Or they they chip. Or perhaps they even get broken. This work that was created to last for generations somehow seems a little bit incomplete. It's broken. But I want to think about that idea of brokenness as it relates not to a piece of pottery, but as it relates to us. And the idea that the potter who has formed us and shaped us continues to be in our lives. Because sometimes things break. Sometimes things crack. Sometimes life doesn't work out how we wanted it to. The Apostle Paul writes about this image by using the word jars of clay. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Paul says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Verse 8. 
We are hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. And Paul says that's because we carry around this treasure in these jars of clay. He's describing us as jars of clay that that perhaps don't look all that great on the outside. But he says what really matters is what's on the inside. Because you have Jesus Christ. You have this life. You have this hope inside of you. We have this treasure in jars of clay that shows the surpassing power is from God and not from us. It doesn't matter if we're chipped. It doesn't matter if we're scarred. It doesn't matter if we feel as though we're broken down. Because even in the midst of our brokenness, we're pointing to the beauty and the wonder of Jesus. You see, when we look like we have it all together, when we look like we're this beautiful base right next to me, all put together and all beautiful, you have no reason to look inside. But when we're simply jars of clay, who on the outside may not look all that appealing, people get to see inside of us. And they get to see a joy that deals with the perplexities that come of life, that deals with the frustrations, that deals with the irritations, that somehow in the midst of all that, we continue to point to Jesus. We always, verse 10, carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Paul's saying, don't let your brokenness get you down. I have just finished reading Brian Stevenson's great book called Just Mercy. In that book, he talks about racism and he talks about um, the, the unfair nature of the prison system. And he, and he fights against it. If you know the book or you perhaps have probably seen the movie, he, he, he tells these incredible stories of the work that he has done and continues to do for the sake of those who find themselves on death row, for the sake of those who find themselves unfairly imprisoned. And he writes this in the book. He says, I guess I'd always known, and this is based on a quote of Thomas Merton who talks about that we really are all just a a body of broken bones. He says, I guess I'd always known, but never fully considered that being broken is what makes us human. We all have our reasons. Sometimes we're fractured by by the choices we make. Sometimes we're shattered by things that we would have never chosen. But our brokenness is also the source of our humanity the basis for our shared search for comfort, meaning, and healing. Our shared vulnerability and imperfection nurtures and sustains our capacity for compassion. We have a choice. We can embrace our humanness, which means embracing our broken natures, and the compassion that remains our best hope for healing. Or we can deny our brokenness forswear compassion, and as a result, deny our own humanity. Stevenson says, we're all broken. We're all chipped. We're all dinged up. But we can choose what we're going to do about that. Because it is out of our brokenness that we can actually reveal the true nature of our humanity. We can remember that Jesus Christ himself was broken for us so that we might have life and have life abundant. And what Stevenson argues is he's saying, let's use our brokenness to bring compassion and healing to the world. I love how he talks about as he begins that book. He says, and the way in which we do that is actually by getting close to people. It's hard to do that when you're a long ways away from people. 
But he says we have to get close. Henry Nouwen talked about it in the terms of saying we are all wounded healers. That we take our wounds and we allow Jesus to bind those up as best as he can. And then we take our broken selves out into the world and seek to bring healing and restoration. We don't give up. We don't let the storm win. We don't let coronavirus win. We don't let the depressing news of COVID-19 win. We recognize that we are broken and, and, and we do not have it all together. And we say, Lord, take this broken vessel, take this jar of clay that contains the beauty of Jesus and let me make a difference. Jesus talks about this in a different manner in Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and we've looked at this text before, but I think it really gets to the gist of what we're talking about today. He talks about being salt and light of the world, and I want to just mostly focus on the, the verses 14 through 16, where he talks about being the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp or put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify God who is in heaven. There are two words in the Greek language for good. There's the word agathos, And there's the word kalos. Agathos describes a meal that is good. Agathos describes a behavior that is good. Kalos, on the other hand, describes a good which radiates beauty. I don't think it's probably proper grammar to say, that was a really good sunset. But that's kalos. It's like you're looking at something and it is so beautiful and it is so amazing and it is so wonderful that that aesthetically that's what you're thinking about. And when Jesus says, let the world see your good works, he doesn't use the word agathos, but instead the word kalos is used. Our good works that reflect the beauty of God that reflect the treasure that is within us. That yes, we are jars of clay. And yes, sometimes we look like this. And yes, sometimes we're cracked and we're dinged. And we wonder where the next thing is going to happen or what the next thing is that it's going to come our own way. And Jesus says, let your good works show. Let the world see them. Show forth the beauty and the wonder of the living God. And my friends, I think actually sometimes the best way that we do that is through our brokenness is through realizing that even though we don't have it all together, we can still do the good work that God has called us to do. That the potter is not done yet. See, God has the great way of working, being able to work with us with both the clay that he's forming into us as well as when we're finished, finished product. He, he can still mold us and shape us. That's because God's God and we're not. And so I want to say that we have a choice to make. We don't get to choose our circumstances. We don't get to choose our situation. None of us would choose to be 
in the midst of this pandemic that we are all experiencing. But the choice that we do have is around how we're going to respond. So what is God forming and shaping in you? What, perhaps, how is God even working in your brokenness to help you to see that you can produce good works? Works that glorify God who is in heaven. Where can your brokenness bring healing? Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. Yet you, Lord, you, God, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. May we believe that truth. That God is the potter. That he is the one shaping and forming our lives. And that we are the clay. And that ultimately, we are all the work of God's hands. Pray with me, please. God, what a field trip Jeremiah got to take. He got to experience you. He got to use his imagination to see you. And God, sometimes we need a little imagination to see what it is that you're calling us to do. We get stuck in a rut. We push back against what you're trying to form and shape our own lives to be instead of allowing you through the power of your Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. We want to look so good on the outside. But Lord, we push Jesus back to do that. So God, may this treasure of Jesus that we hold inside of us be revealed. Lord, help us in our brokenness to figure out how best to reach out to others, to love others, to care for others. God, help us to soar again. Help us to run and not grow weary, to walk and not faint. And all the time to remember, God, that you are with us. We pray and ask this all in Jesus' name.